Welcome to Off The Record. I'm your host, Marika, and I'm a dietitian, nutritionist, and recovering perfectionist. Join me each week as I bring you raw and real conversations with inspiring men and women discussing matters in health and nutrition that are often swept under the rug. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of coffee or a wine, and enjoy learning from conversations that help us to understand the messiness of what it means to be a healthy and balanced human. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today's episode is all about BMI, so body body mass index. This episode is actually one that I've been meaning to record for quite some time now, and I have quite frankly um, put off because I am terrified of doing it, and I am being super vulnerable and honest here, but I am terrified of saying something wrong or not showing up for the community and my community, you guys, in the way that I intend to. Um, My purpose is very much about helping people lead healthier lives. And that is irrespective of your body shape or size. So I guess what I'm saying is I want to start this episode by saying that firstly, I am so aware of my thin privilege and I am aware that because of my thinness that You know, I have not experienced situations like that of people who have lived in larger bodies and specifically people who live in much larger bodies. I want to preface this by saying that this episode, sorry, by saying that I am here to learn um, and I am by no means perfect and I'm going to hold this conversation perfectly as well. So I'm not going to get it right every time, but I am here to have these conversations and This episode for me is about showing up to have this conversation that I believe does need to be had. And it's based on the experiences that I have seen and heard from people in a diverse range of bodies over the years working as a dietitian. So for context sake as well, I want to also acknowledge that I have not only worked with one sort of subset of the population in my years working as a dietitian. Um, I have worked in both the affluent eastern suburbs of Sydney and worked with a heavily orthorexic population in that area. Um, But I have also worked in central Queensland in a bariatric surgery setting as well and seen the vast difference between people's experiences based on their body size, their body shape, their level of education, their income and their location as well. So I guess I just want to say that this is the combination of, um, I guess, what I've seen in my practice. So, yes, it is um, putting together some of the research uh, in this area, as well as the things that I have seen firsthand. So please excuse me if I'm imperfect in explaining this. Now, one thing I also want to say is that I would be wrong if I said that I probably haven't contributed to this problem that we've had around weight bias over the years. I am not perfect and I'm not removing myself from the conversation because I think in any form of stigma, as soon as we think that we're not capable of perpetuating it, that we actually are perpetuating it. So I want to say that, you know, firstly, again, acknowledge that I am, you know, part of this conversation and I'm here to learn. And I have been trained as a dietitian and as a dietitian, we're trained that traditionally that fat is bad. And that's both explicitly and implicitly. I went to university, which teaches us that in order to be healthy, that you must lose weight. 
And I think that that conversation is changing, but particularly when I went through uni, that was still a really strong conversation that was being had. So uh, I can't deny the weight bias that has been you know, brought on to me through the years of being a dietitian and being trained in that way. And have also having worked in the health and fitness industry for nearly 10 years now. So I think it would be ignorant of me to say that I have not been part of the problem in some way and perpetuating the problem in some way, shape or form over the years. But I hope that I'm doing everything now in my um, in my power that I can to sort of unlearn the things that I have learned and help to show up in a way that really promotes health in a um, in a diverse range of bodies as well. So I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for listening to me. And I also want to say to please stick with me with this episode. If it feels uncomfortable for you listening to this and if it feels like it really challenges what you've been taught, that's okay. And also it's okay if you don't agree with what I'm saying. Um, All I'm asking you is to listen and to just consider the things that we're talking about and to consider the experiences that other people might have um, because you can't have experiences that you haven't had and you can't be in a body that you're not in. So it's really challenging as somebody who is naturally thin to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who is not. Um, So please stick with me. Let's hear this out. Finally, one more thing before we begin. Um, In this episode, I'm obviously specifically talking about BMI. Um, But this conversation does really form part of a larger conversation around weight bias, which is a conversation that needs to be had over many, many years, not just over one episode. Please forgive me. Obviously, I can't cover everything in one episode. Okay, so let's begin by going back to the origins of body mass index or BMI. The BMI was originally developed or the concept of BMI was originally developed in 1830 by a mathematician and a statistician. So it was not developed by a physician or a doctor or a public health expert. It was mathematician and statistician. And the gentleman who uh, developed the BMI, or it wasn't actually called the BMI at this point in time, but he made it very clear that the BMI was never intended to be used as a measure of individual body fat, of build or of health. It was specifically developed for the purpose of statistics, not individual health. When he created the BMI, he pulled it from data from primarily Anglo-Saxon bodies in an entirely European population and made up of entirely male population as well. So when it comes to statistics and applying the results of one piece of work, we need to be sure that we are using it for the intended purpose. So to give you an example, when we look at research that's done now, if it's done in mice, we can sort of sit back and go, okay, great. Well, that's in mice. I wonder how relevant that would be in the human body. And the same goes for other concepts in terms of ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, and so on. So to say that the BMI was developed for a white male on a population level to help with statistics can be applied to, let's say, a black female in a doctor's office to determine that woman's health completely removes the context in which it was created for and quite likely invalidates the use of it altogether in that context. 
Now, to continue further into the history of BMI, yes, I spent like, I reckon a whole day looking into the history of the BMI. Um, It was a very fascinating day of my life. Uh, Anyway, it was not until the 20th century when the BMI was sort of began to be used as an indicator of health. And that was thanks to life insurance companies in the US. And they developed these cutoffs for determining what to charge a policyholder based on essentially their weight. Um, Then furthermore, after that, in the 70s, um, so this is in the 1970s, a researcher called Ansel Keys aimed to find the most effective measure of body fat that was super easy and super cost effective. And so he looked at the data again and particularly looked at the data from white males and determined that the BMI was probably the most accurate way to diagnose obesity in white males. Now, when we say the most accurate way, from what I could see in the research here, the most accurate way to diagnose obesity came out at about diagnosing obesity accurately about 50% of the time. That means that the BMI also inaccurately diagnoses obesity 50% of the time. So we need to keep that in our mind. So essentially the BMI was created for a quick and easy way to determine someone's health status by collecting two pieces of data, their height and their weight. However, obviously in the years since the 1970s and very much so from the 1830s, we have begun to realize, I guess, the complexity that is health and as well the complexity that is obesity and that it's not as straightforward as your height and your weight determine directly your health outcomes, your mortality, your risk of um, disease. And yeah, I guess how much you should be charged from an insurance premium perspective as well. One point of conversation that I think is really important to have when we're talking about BMI and in particular, when we're thinking about um, weight bias and weight stigma is to think about the ways in which we do invalidate BMI um, quite happily. And one of these ways is, um, and, and I've done the same as well, is that we say that, well, BMI doesn't measure body fat. And that's true. It does not measure body fat. It does not measure body composition. So it cannot tell you the difference between somebody who is muscular and somebody who has more body fat. Now, that, as I said, that is completely true. Somebody with a muscular stature will have a higher BMI. However, even without a muscular stature, a higher body fat percentage does not always mean that somebody is less healthy. You can certainly have a higher body fat percentage and still be cardiometabolically healthy. So cardiometabolically healthy means that your markers of health, so things like your um, blood lipids, so your cholesterol, your triglycerides, your blood pressure, and your blood sugar might all be within the healthy weight, sorry, the healthy range, even if you are not within the healthy weight range as determined by a BMI. Now, the reason I mention this is because I actually think that by focusing on this point, and I, I might be thinking this through incorrectly, but I, I believe that this actually perpetuates weight bias because what we're saying is that, well, it's okay to be in a higher weight, um, sorry, higher BMI category as long as you're muscular. That's the only reason it would be okay. So it still is perpetuating our, I guess, yeah, weight bias and our anti-fatness 
that we have that being fat equals bad. The other thing that the BMI does not tell us about is the distribution of fat on that individual. So there is some data to suggest that body fat held in certain regions of the body is more risky when it comes to our cardiometabolic health and our mortality than um, when it's held in other areas of the body. So for example, fat that's held on the um, sort of central region tends to be a higher risk for um, cardiometabolic diseases than fat that's held on the hips and the bum. So that is um, less likely to be associated with poorer metabolic health or mortality. And the BMI tells us nothing about this distribution of fat and where it's located. So again, it comes back to the question of, is the BMI telling us how healthy this individual really is? I think the other things to consider is what are the consequences of using BMI in terms of where are we using BMI and what are the outcomes of that in the sense that, you know, is it impacting somebody's ability to gain health insurance? Is it impacting somebody's ability to perform in a certain job role? So, you know, is there BMI cutoffs for them to do certain things in society and I guess then we need to come back and sort of think about that in a um, in a manner that are we stigmatizing based on weight because of those cutoffs? So are we saying that certain people can't do certain jobs because of their size or certain people can't get access to health insurance because of their size rather than their true health risk or then their um, ability to perform within that role in a safe manner? Because I think there is always going to be, um, you know, discussions around different job roles are going to have are going to be preference towards different people uh, based on the safety that they can perform within that role. And one thing I notice is that the conversation tends to always go back to caring about the individual's health and that this is in the best interests of the individual um, and their health. And that, you know, the only reason that you're, um, you know, questioning or caring about somebody's weight is because you are concerned about their health. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that there is absolutely no relationship between weight and health. There certainly is some relationship and it happens at both ends of the spectrum. So being underweight poses greater health risk than I believe even being in the overweight category. So when it comes to BMI, being underweight is more unhealthy than being in the overweight BMI category for a lot of individuals. Um, and as I said, it, it happens on this spectrum where both ends of the curve. So being underweight and being on the, uh, I hate the terms that we're using here, but like the morbidly obese um, terms in terms of they're the terms that we are using in the BMI category at this point in time, hopefully it changes one day, but they're the, they're the types of things that we are seeing, um, you know, some health risks increase at both ends of those spectrums. So that's not to say that there's no relationship between weight and health, but we are, I guess what I notice is that we are justifying our weight bias based on like, we're we're sort of saying that it's okay because we care about the health of the individual. And I think we really need to take a step back and go, well, if we care about the health of the individual, why are we not asking more questions? Because we know that 
white is one part of the story and potentially not even a very big part of the story when it comes to the health of an individual. And when you are, and particularly when you're asking the individual this question, if you are doing it from a shaming and like demeaning manner, the impact that that has on somebody's mental health is significant. So if you care about their health, then coming at them with weight bias is not caring about their health at all. Now, I'm not necessarily blaming, you know, anyone in particular. I think that society has really been set up in this way where weight bias has become part of every single thing that we do. And it's like, it's like the, like racism and, and the, the, um, the rise of Black Lives Matter has made us sort of realize the depths that racism has been ingrained in society. And we now sort of have to pull it apart to go, okay, wow, that's where, you know, that's where it's happening. And I think we need to be doing the same when it comes to weight. For example, why are airplane seats created in one size when we know that bodies come in numerous sizes? We've created ramps for people who have disabilities and need to use wheelchairs so that they can increase their accessibility to certain modes of transportation. The same sort of thing, I believe, should be applied to, and again, no, in no way saying that this is a disability, but more saying that if we are making the world more accessible to people with disabilities, why can't we start making the world accessible to people with all different body shapes as well? So why can't somebody who is in a larger body be able to sit comfortably in a chair on an airplane? Why do they not deserve to feel comfortable on a flight because of their size? And this is where that conversation really goes back to the stigma associated with being in a larger body because it comes back to them, the worthiness and the worth that we're essentially placing on the life of somebody in a larger body is less than the worth of that in a smaller body. And the way a really good example, I think of that is airplane seats is that we are saying that if you're in a larger body, it's you're not worthy of sitting in a comfortable seat. And now I know airlines did not create seats with that in mind. That was not their purpose. They didn't go, okay, we're going to create seats this size because we want people in larger bodies to feel uncomfortable. That is not how it went. Oh, I hope it's not, but I'm almost positive that's not how it went. But this is how this stigma sort of seeps into our culture and sort of is ingrained in us and then uh, distributes, sorry, across society is that we then all pick up this weight bias that we didn't even intend to pick up in the first place. So I think one thing that we really need to think about when having these conversations is the value that we are placing on the life and the life experience of the individual in a larger body. So whether that's you, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody you see in the street, are you making any judgments on who they are and the way that they should experience life purely based on what you see? Now, I'm not saying that you're a bad person for doing that. It's, again, not necessarily your direct fault that you're doing that. We are in a society where this is happening. So please don't beat yourself up for doing it. But it's really important that we start to become aware of 
the ways in which it's influencing our behaviors and the way that it's influencing our attitudes towards others and which then ultimately influences our behaviors. And this is where I'm going to tie it back into BMI is that I think we really need to think about the consequence or the benefit of labeling somebody as overweight, obese, morbidly obese, super obese, you know, whatever the the term is that you're going to use for the label based on their BMI. What ways is this helping the individual or what ways is this harming the individual? So if we're using BMI, let's just say we are, we're using it, which it is in a lot of settings as a measure of health. Surely we should be also looking at the impact that labeling someone as obese is having on their health and their health outcomes. So that again, we can sort of look at, are we perpetuating the problem here? So what I mean by that is that when somebody walks into the doctor's office and they are told that they are overweight, obese, morbidly obese, whatever it is that they get labeled as, What are then the cascade of events that happen after that label? And firstly, did labeling that person as that help them in any way, shape or form? So did they not know that their weight was in society's eyes an issue? Um, And did you, by labeling them, help them recognize a problem that they weren't aware of? I'm going to say no, because the entire society is telling them that their body weight is a problem. But then let's take it one step further and then think about what happens after that appointment. So we sort of now bring it really back to an individual level. We've labeled them as whatever it is that we've labeled them as. So they're going to walk away from this appointment. And I'm just asking you to sort of put yourself in the shoes of the individual. And I think we need to also bring ourselves to the point where we're sort of thinking about, okay, well, the complexity of weight is that trauma is entrenched in a lot of overweight and obesity and high levels of body fat. There is a lot of trauma that is involved in that, be it from just the weight bias that comes as part of that, or be it from a trauma that has happened, which has then led to coping mechanisms, which have led to an increase in body fat or body weight. Furthermore, we do know that people of higher BMIs are more likely to be from a lower socioeconomic status. So there is a correlation between socioeconomic status and higher BMI. So again, let's put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who is of low socioeconomic status. So they don't have a high income. They might not have you know, the best education levels. They are potentially had a um, traumatic experiences throughout their life. And they've now been told that they are morbidly obese they, I can almost guarantee, are going to walk away from that conversation not feeling great about themselves. Now, the extent to which they don't feel great about themselves will depend on the individual and their coping mechanisms and their resilience and their psychology and their genetic makeup and so many other different factors. But regardless, I can guarantee not one person is walking away from that conversation and being like, oh, hell yeah. Like I just got told I was morbidly obese. I'm so motivated to go and eat healthier and eat better and eat healthier and eat better. Same thing. Um, Exercise more and look after my health. I've worked in the industry, like I said, for 10 years, and I've never heard that as the outcome of that scenario, that somebody walks away and is super motivated because they've been told that they're morbidly obese. So if that is the outcome we're aiming for, 
I don't think we're achieving it. And I don't have data to back that up, but I think we need to be thinking about the consequence of that. But then again, one step further on that, how likely is that person then to return to the doctor, the dietitian, the exercise physiologist, the PT, the whoever it is that has told them this, or even if it wasn't that individual that told them this, how likely are they to return to any health professional when they feel that the first thing that they're going to be judged upon is their weight before they can even open their mouth to say what's happening for them? You know, they might go in there for their mental health and the first thing that they get told to do is to step on the scale. What impact is that then having on their health in the long term? So are we actually caring about somebody's health when we're measuring their BMI if that is potentially the outcome of it? Okay, so the final thing I wanted to say on this is the other thing that we haven't thought about is the responsibility we are then placing on the individual for their body shape and their body fat percentage. And we are essentially saying by telling them this, that it's in their power to change their body shape, their body fat percentage, their body size, their weight. And what we know from the data is that it's actually not that easy. Changing your weight and in particular changing your weight in the long term, so more than five years, is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It's not impossible, but it is incredibly, incredibly challenging. And there are, like I've said before, so many different factors that play into somebody's weight. And like I've said, is socioeconomic status. So your income, your education, your access to outdoor areas where you can exercise, whether you're working four jobs and got three kids that you're trying to look after, you know, time is such an important factor in this. And we need to consider all of these things. So by labeling somebody as morbidly obese and then saying we'll go and fix it we're putting so much pressure on that individual to change something that society has actually helped to create so you know we've got advertising which is just promoting you know highly processed foods as cheap and accessible to everyone it's you know it's the affordability of fruits and vegetables and the cooking skills of an individual like at the time there's so many things that are going into this that is beyond the power of the individual. Now, of course, there is always, I know somebody's going to come back and be like, oh, but some, you know, you can ultimately choose what you put in your mouth. Yeah, you can, but you're forgetting the factors that play into that decision making. And it's a really privileged position to be sitting in to say, oh, well, you can choose everything that you want to eat. That's not true. And if you think it's true, I encourage you to go sit with people who can tell you how it's not true because it is not true. There is so many things that go into the decision around food and exercise that are completely outside the power of the individual. Anyway, I'm going to leave it at that for today. This conversation is to be continued. Um, There is so much that we can sort of add to this conversation. And I hope that you have been able to listen to this with an open mind. I feel like I did get very passionate at one point. Um, I am very passionate about this topic because I think that health should be something that is obviously accessible to all. I think every single individual deserves access to healthcare. And I think that we really need to broaden our definition of health to include every aspect of health, be it psychological health, be it 
environmental health, be it social health. It's not just about certain risks for certain diseases. We need to think of the person as a whole and stop labeling them to fit in certain buckets so that we can then categorize them for health insurance policies. That is not the definition of health. And ultimately, I think the way we can start moving forward on this is really by focusing on behaviors as opposed to, um, I guess, measures. So if we are really concerned about the health of an individual, if we are concerned about the health of ourselves, let's focus more on behaviors. So health behaviors being like things like eating healthier and more fruits and vegetables, less smoking, less alcohol. And also keep in mind that even those things are not 100% under the power of the individual. So we do need to look at this from a higher level as well. Um, I'm just mindful that, you know, on an individual level, when you are focusing on yourself, it's hard to then go into society and go, oh, well, let's change food advertising. That's not something that we can do. So I think that the people who have the power to do that um, should absolutely be working towards that. And on an individual level, I think focusing more on behaviors and um, yeah, more meaningful measures of, of health. So like I mentioned before, like our cardiometabolic um, health. So things like your triglycerides and your blood pressure um, are much more meaningful measures of health than something like your weight or your BMI in particular. Anyway, thank you for joining me in this imperfect conversation. It is to be continued. So um, I will be continuing uh, and hopefully bringing to light some conversations with people in larger bodies to really share their experiences. Um, If there is anybody who you would like me to interview on the podcast, I'm always all ears. So please shoot people my way. Um, And yeah, let's continue to go on this journey together. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to share it on social media and to tag me at Marika Day. I always love seeing and hearing from my fellow podcast listeners. So um, thank you so much again and catch you next week. Bye.